Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of the PD Smash Podcast. Today we have an amazing episode for you. First off, we're going to talk about John Wall wanting out of Houston. After that, we're going to talk about big headlines from week one of the NFL season before moving on to predictions for week two of the NFL season. Thank you so much, Smash fans, for tuning in. And without further ado, cue that intro. They can say what they want now. Cause we'll be screaming now. First up, let's talk about John Wall. And honestly, this kind of makes sense. Like, we're being completely honest here. What was Houston going to do in the next two years? Nothing. Be a bottom 10 team. Bottom 10 team in the league. Maybe, maybe make a play in. If all, and I mean every single one of the cards fall that is their max potential next, not even this year, but next year. That's their max potential. But they're probably going to be a lottery team for the next three to four years, if not longer than that. And I think that's just going to be the case moving forward that when a star is on a rebuilding team like this, more likely than not, they're going to want out. And John Wall is a descending star. His Achilles it was his Achilles or his ACL. I cannot remember which one. But either way, his injury, it definitely hindered him. However, he's still a very good player in this league. I think on the right team and the right scheme, he can still be a borderline all-star caliber player on a team. So with that being said, even though his contract is a lot of money, and I do mean it's a lot of money, it's only for two years, which, oh, two years, that's a long time. That went from me being not able to drive to me being an adult. That's a long time. But in terms of the NBA, that's really not a long time to have a contract on the books. Especially when you consider the fact there are some teams who need to compete now and it's nearly impossible for them to free up a max slot in free agency. So they need to do it through trades. So with all that in mind, I think we're going to go through the top three trade scenarios I see for John Wall. And then at the end, talk about if I think he'll be traded or if he'll be bought out. So we're going to go which one I'd like to see the least to the one I'd like to see the most. So for the least, we have John Wall going to the Mavericks for Porzingis, Sterling Brown, and... Tyrell Terry. And the only reason, like, I think this would be fun to watch. I just think that it's tough when you are a team trying to compete for a championship to not have a good big man and also not have that second star when you have two teams that have three. John Wall is good, but he's nowhere close to what his borderline superstar status was before his injury. And... That's going to hurt him. Yes, L- Luka took the team that probably would have made 
the NBA Finals to seven if everyone stayed healthy. But that doesn't change the fact that in the end, the West and the East both got better. So it's going to be harder for them to make a championship run. And this is more of a lateral move than anything. You really only do this as if you've given up hope on Porzingis and you're like, okay, really, I just want to try a new look and to change things up. And if that's the case, then I say go for it. It's not like it's going to hurt you anyway. Porzingis contract, let me double check this. But from my understanding, Porzingis' contract is pretty big. It's like... It's not as big as John Wall's. As John Wall's is one of the biggest contract in pro sports, but it's still pretty big. It's not like anything that we haven't seen. Like it's forty-seven million, I think. So even though it's not forty-seven, it's forty-seven million for. John Wall, I think it's like 32 for Porzingis. That 10 mil seems like a lot, but when you consider the fact that that's just a... It's the same type of max, super max type thing, it kind of makes sense that it's it's pretty equivalent for the next two year years of what you would have John Wall for. And then after that, you get off all that money, not just the Porzingis money you would get off of if you were to not do this trade for the for the money aspect of this it just really does it would make sense for the Mavericks to do and also it allows them to get off that Porzingis contract earlier as he signed a five-year deal and He's only through one of those. Whereas if you get John Wall, you're out of it after two years, like I said, which allows you to have a little more flexibility moving forward when Luca does eventually become a free agent. Sorry if you heard that there. My family is kind of annoying at times, but there shouldn't be any more audio interruptions. Anyway, moving on from that, we have a... Second trade, which I think is definitely a possibility, and it's it's Clippers get a third star. In this trade, you trade Luke Kennard, Eric Bledsoe, and, and Terrence Mann, I believe is to three plus a first round pick to the uh, Rockets straight up for John Wall. There's not much here. It's basically just Terrence Mann and a first-round pick and a couple other filler guys. And this is basically on the Rockets' side. If you believe Terrence Mann can be 70% of the game he had in the bubble where he scored 40 points, not bubble, my apologies, the playoffs last year where he scored the 40 points, then that's definitely possible. That trade is definitely possible, but if you don't think so, then it's going to be very hard to convince the Rockets to make this trade. John Wall's value is low, but it's not that low. 
And maybe they're like, it's better to do that than get nothing. And if that's the case, then I think the Clippers have a chance to snag them. And I think on the Clippers side, this is a really good fit. Because I think Paul George slash Kawhi are both true threes. But I think they both have more of a body frame to play the four rather than the two as the second star. And Reggie Jackson himself is more of a two than a one guard. So this allows Reggie Jackson to move to his natural position. It allows for Kawhi to run his natural position. It allows for Paul George to run, I think, his better secondary position, which is power forward. So overall, I like this trade for the Clippers, and I think it's definitely one that could be very advantageous moving forward. Next up, in my favorite trade, this will be the last trade here, it's the Philadelphia 76ers trade Ben Simmons for John Wall, and they swap Daniel House and Danny Green. Now, on the Rockets' side, this is a really good haul for John Wall. You get another piece, young piece, you can use in collaboration with Jalen Green and your draft pick, your other draft pick this year to try to build something. And then on the other side, really, for the Philadelphia 76ers, this will be huge because even though Ben Simmons is a better player than John Wall at this particular moment, it doesn't mean that the fit isn't better with John Wall. And it's better for a couple of reasons. One, the major subtraction you're getting here is defense, and defense is the one thing the Philadelphia 76ers don't need. They're good defensively. This will make this will downgrade them from great to good, but they're still good defensively. Joel Embiid is still a really, he's an excellent defender. Tobias Harris is a good defender. What's it called? Matisse Thibel is a good defense, is a great defender. They have good to great defenders all throughout that roster. It's just really the scoring where you really need to find a place for it. And I think John Wall gives them that. And with John Wall, additionally, you get the ability to A, place the floor more, because even though John Wall isn't a great three-point shooter, he's not a horrible either. And you also get an ability to run a fantastic pick and roll between still one of the fastest players in the NBA and one of, if not the best big men in the NBA, depending on who you ask. I have Jokic ahead of him, but if you have Embiid, I'm not going to fault you for it. And on the Rockets' side, I kind of touched on this already because not only does it give you a cornerstone, but also Ben Simmons playing the power forward center position makes a lot of sense, I think, personally. I think he could become the best defender of all time if he commits to playing the center power forward position and basically becomes what Draymond Green was at his prime, but better. Because... Ben Simmons right now, as a perimeter defender, is an amazing perimeter defender. He just needs to get his rim protection up. And he will be a better defender than Draymond Green ever was. And Draymond Green is probably a top five defender of all time. So really what Ben Simmons needs to do is just kind of buy in totally on the defensive end and be okay with the fact that he's going to be a third option on a championship team and put his entire hat in the ring defensively and be one of, if not the greatest defender of all time. And I think 
the value of that for Ben Simmons and for the Rockets can clearly be shown in progression. And I think also for the Rockets, this gives you the ability to see if it will work with Ben Simmons for two years, and then after that, you're off the, the money's off the books. It's not like with like a Chris Stops contract or something along those lines where that the money's on for a long time. If you don't, the Rockets don't want that to be a long-term contract. They don't want to. They don't have to make it a long-term contract. And it also gives them free agency money right around the time they should start to be semi-relevant once again. So I think overall this would just be a good trade to make for both sides. And I think it would make both teams really fun to watch. I think now moving on to the NFL. But before we really do that, I want to ask, what do you guys think? Which up? Which of those three trades do you think is going to be the most feasible for John Wall? Or do you think none of them are feasible at all? And he's probably just going to get bought out by the Houston Rockets. Let me know what you think in the comment section below. But anyways, now moving on to the week one headlines for the NFL. First up, we have the overtime thriller of the Bengals versus the Vikings. I said in the podcast last week that I had the Bengals winning and a three-point victory, which turned out to be correct. I got the exact score wrong, but I got the three-point victory correct. And I just think that that Bengals offense is fantastic and that defense is not half bad. And I think they're going to be a tough out for any team, including contending teams, including playoff teams. It's just going to be a tough out this year. The Bengals are going to be a tough out this year. However, with that being said, I think the Vikings will be fine. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I definitely see them in that 8-9 to 9-8 range. But moving on from really that entire game, we're going to move on to the Thursday night game of the Dallas Cowboys versus the Buccaneers. And I'll, I have a very different take on this than a lot of people do. I think this means a lot of trouble for the Cowboys because even though they didn't really get the run game going Dak Prescott passed for over 400 yards he had an exceptional game and they still couldn't beat the Buccaneers who turned the ball over four times that scares me that scares me a lot as that's Yep, that scares me. I don't see the Cowboys... If the Buccaneers hold on to that ball and take care of that ball, they win that game 10-plus points. And against the best teams in the league, you're not going to get very many games where a team turns the ball over four times. It really, to me, just showed how dominant the Buccaneers are and honestly how much the Cowboys haven't changed because they're going to be better this year, but they're not... They're not a Super Bowl contender. They might win the division. I don't think they will, but they might win the division. But even if they win the division, they're not going to be able to stack up with the 49ers. They're not going to be able to stack up with even like the Arizona Cardinals. It's really, I think, just overall a very tough place to be in if you're a Cowboys general manager or a Cowboys fan because you guys are not quite good enough to compete for a championship, but you're not bad enough either to where it's a rebuild. It's a very odd place to be in. It's the purgatory of such a sport. 
Moving on to the next game where we have the Green Bay Packers being blown out by famous Jameis and the New Orleans Saints. Now, this was a good, this was a really good game. I'm not going to lie, this was a really good game to watch if you're a Saints fan. Not because Jameis Winston played well, because he played well, but he didn't play exceptional. You could definitely see the arm strength and the arm talent there in a couple of throws he made. But it's not like he had this outstanding performance. It was really good to see from a defensive side. Your defense was dominant with a capital D during this game. The Packers couldn't get anything going at all. And that is a problem. If you can play like that as a defense all year, you're going to give any offense fits. And if you can give an offense fits, you have a running game like Alvin Kamara gives you, and their backup running back's not half bad either, you have a team that is still close to a Super Bowl contender. I'm of the persuasion, and I always have been of the persuasion, that the main thing you need to win a championship is a great defense. If you have a great defense, you have a shot at winning a championship. In my opinion, you can't just have a great offense to win a championship. You need to have a, at least a good defense to win a championship and a great offense. But if you have a great defense, all you need is a good running game. You don't need a good offense. You can have a slightly below average offense and still win a championship. Because if a defense allows 14 points, you are in a game, no matter what anyone says. But if you put up 30 points as an offense, if your defense is only okay, you can give that up so incredibly easy, it's ridiculous. We saw this with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers' defense is what won them that Super Bowl, not the offense. We've seen in the years past with the Baltimore defense, the 49ers, when they got to the Super Bowl two years ago, had an amazing defense, and that's what really propelled them. Just throughout time, the defense matters more than the offense in a lot of cases. If you have the best defense in the NFL, you will always be a Super Bowl contender if you have a good running game and a smart head coach. And that is what the Saints have. They have a smart head coach, they have a really good running game, and they have a great defense. That's what the Rams were when they made it with Jared Goff. Goff. That's what the Saints are this year. And I think that you will see that come true. And I think the the Saints might just make the playoff run this year, despite not having their best quarterback of all time on the roster. Now, moving on, Sunday night's game, to me, wasn't particularly that interesting. Really, what I want to move on to is that Sunday, is the Monday night game, because was that a weird game? First off, it looked like at the beginning that the Ravens were going to run away with that and it wasn't even going to be close. But then 
The Raiders pulled back, and then the Ravens separated a little bit, and the Ravens pulled back, then the Raiders pulled back, and by the end, you had the Ravens up three with 30 seconds left. The defense had a lapse that should not have happened, and the Raiders scored, scored a field goal. Then in overtime, Derek Carr throws a pass on the money. He threw it maybe with a little too much force, but does not change the fact you should catch you, you don't need to catch it, but you should at least be able to put your hands around that ball. But regardless, he throws a ball. It goes through his receiver's hand. It hits a person's helmet, pops into the air, and then a Ravens, Ravens defender catches it. And then on the next drive, Lamar Jackson fumbles the ball. And then after that, instead of kicking the field goal like sane human beings, Derek Carr... Off his back foot floats the absolute amazingness out of this ball and just drops it straight into Zay Jones' hands for the walk-off touchdown. Like, A, you can't script it any better than that. B, it was a ridiculous game. And C, I don't know. Kind of makes me scared for the Ravens because the Ravens having trouble against that Raiders defense scares me. Yeah, they scored 27, but really you'd hope they score something in the 35 ballpark. I know they don't have their good their running backs, but it still just scares me. Overall, it just scares me, and I hope and I pray that they can get that figured out because if they don't, this will be a season down the drain, and I think the Ravens are one of the best teams in the AFC when fully healthy. And this these running back injuries could really derail their entire season. On the Raiders side of things, this is kind of what the Raiders always do. They always start off hot and then they trail off after week about eight or nine. So let's see what happens after week eight or nine and let's see how they are there. Good win though, impressive win. They got a little help, but overall they finished the game, they finished business, they did what they needed to do to win, so great on the Raiders. Now kind of moving on to next week, I'm going to talk about a few things. One, I want to talk about tomorrow's matchup of the football team versus the Giants. I don't think this is going to be necessarily the closest game in the entire world. I know it's a divisional game, but I think the football team's defense has something to prove after getting kind of bullied on that final drive. Yeah, they only let up 20 points, but they still got bullied in that final drive. I think Chase Young has something to prove after getting locked down by the Chargers offensive line. I think that you're going to see a locked-in defense. I think you're going to see a defense that gives up 14 points the entire game. And I think that Tyler Heineke is going to be able to lead this guy, this team, to a really good record when Fitzpatrick is out. And that starts t tomorrow night. I think that Taylor Heineke is what people would call a gamer. I think he is someone you want to lead the huddle. He is someone that people will rally behind. And he is someone that is honestly one of the most authentic people I've heard speak. He can make a lot of throws. He has a very underrated arm strength. His, his quickness, his agility also is really an asset. I think you're going to see the football team put up about 28 points and you're going to see 
the Giants put up 14 in a pretty handed win by the Washington football team. Now, with that being said, I think the Giants are a good team, but I don't think they're a playoff team yet. I see them probably at the 6-7 to seven win mark, kind of where they were last year, just a little more of an impressive 6-7 to seven wins because their division is better. Another thing I kind of see happening is that I think the Eagles are might just win next week too. I forget exactly who they are. I forget who they are playing, but I believe the Eagles have a chance to win that game. And I think the Eagles are going to. I think the Eagles could be one of those teams. From what I saw last week, that wasn't just like a oh one bad team beating up on another bad team type of game. The Eagles look legit. Jalen Hurts looked really good. Devonta Smith looked really good. Jalen Rager didn't look half bad. Miles Sanders looked his same usual great self. That defensive line was fierce. The court, the secondary was not bad. It was actually pretty good that game against a Falcons offense that's still good. The reason they lost so many games, they have lost so many games, because that defense and situational play, it's not been because of that offense. And they really did just for the most part, shut down that offense, my defense did. And I could see this continuing the role, and I see them winning next week. I think another team to watch out for in week two is the Denver Broncos. I think they're going to do really well next week. And I think they might just win their next game. I think the Dallas versus Chargers game is going to be a really good game. I think that being a really high-scoring game. I would not be surprised if that's like a 38-41 game. Just because... Both those defenses are decent, but not better than those offenses. And those offenses are dynamic. And I could definitely see that being a case. I think overall, we're going to have another really good week of football. I think that the Ravens will give Kansas City a fight on Sunday night. I don't think it will be anything. I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to lose that game. I think the Kansas City Chiefs will still win it. Because even though the Ravens are well coached, and they do have talent on the roster. The Kansas City Chiefs are on another level than pretty much the entire rest of the NFL other than the Buccaneers. Like, running back, above average. Receiving core, above average. Tight end, the best the NFL may has ever seen. You got a really good defense. It's just overall, I definitely see... As a win for the uh the win a win for the Kansas City Chiefs I don't it might not be but I see it as a win for the Kansas City Chiefs I think the last thing here is yes circling back to the Eagles game I think the 49ers are not quite as good as people give them credit for as people are saying I think Jimmy G has lost all his confidence, and I think if he gets hit a few times in the first couple quarters, which could definitely be with Brandon Graham, with Fletcher Cox, with that defensive line, he definitely get hit a few times. I could see him having his confidence, confidence take a hit, and just overall, that's going to be just a problem. I think the Texans are going to be competitive this year. I don't think they're going to be good. I think they still are going to win like four to five games. 
But I think a lot of the games they play in, there's going to be one possession games. I don't see Cleveland rolling over the Texans because I think Tyrod Taylor is one of the most underrated players the NFL has ever seen. And I think Brandon Cooks is a good enough wide receiver. And I think Mark Ingram is a good enough of a running back to keep that game close enough because the because the Browns like to run the ball a lot. I can definitely see the Texans keeping this game close. And yeah, overall, I just think this is going to be another really good week of football. And I can't wait. I bet you guys can't wait either. Thank you so much, Smash fans, for tuning into this episode. This is the end of this episode. I hope you all are having amazing days. If you want to check out other episodes, you can click the link in the description of this video or this audio podcast and go to pdsmashsports.com and it will take you to my blog where I have 45 plus articles on NFL and NBA related topics as well as weekly podcasts on there. I believe this is either 46 or 47 of this list. Once again, Smash fans, I want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of PD Smash Sports Podcast. And without further ado, PD Smash signing off. There's a moment in your bones when, when the fire takes over. Blood is running, heart is pumping as the battle gets closer. Say what they want now Cause we'll be screaming now We can be heroes everywhere we go We can have all that we ever want Swinging like Ali, knocking out bodies Standing on top like a champion Keep your silver, give me that gold You'll remember when I say We can be heroes everywhere we go Keeping us down is impossible Cause we're unstoppable Every spotlight, every sound bite, everybody who gave up is just a fuel for wanting him more than anybody against us. They can say what they want now.